Welcome to Absolute Destiny, a podcast. I'm Autumn. I'm Chesney. And this is a show where we watch every episode of Revolutionary Girl Utena, the 1997 anime, and we give our review. The trick here is I am a decades-long super fan. This is Chesney's first time watching it. Today we are on episode 14, The Boys of the Black Rose. I am going to give a content warning for this episode right up front. Uh, this is the first episode where we start getting hints and implications of an incestuous relationship. So we are going to be discussing that later in the episode when it comes up. If that's not your thing, you might want to skip to the next one. It will feature a little more prominently throughout the series going forward. So just a fair warning if this is your first time ever seeing the show. Yeah, and we'll do a trigger warning too right before we get into discussion of uh, of that piece of the episode, just so y'all know. This intro was so good. I'm not talking like the usual, um, you know, song intro. I'm talking like the very beginning of the episode was so good at setting the stage. Uh, like the timing and the sound effects and the like color blocking, all of it was chef's kiss so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we are into the second plot arc of the show at this point. So we are introducing some new characters throughout this episode. And we get some right off the bat. Yeah. Yeah, and at first it totally threw me because... Okay, so first it's like the we get a shot of the new building um, that's apparently on the school grounds. And I love that later Uteta makes a remark like, I didn't even know this was here. <laughs> but I don't know. We like this a, we've seen the overhead shot of the campus. This place is gigantic. Uh, I'll say right. this. I went to undergrad and I was there um, for... I was at that college for undergrad and graduate school, and there is still one building I never had a class in. But you knew it existed. <laughs> I mean, fair. Like, I, you're right. I did know it existed. But Harrington Hall, I literally never walked inside it once in my entire time at that school. <laughs> Yeah, and we've joked that there's like equestrian fields and track and all that on this campus and that like Toga and Nanami's house is very well probably on I mean, campus grounds. It probably is the chancellor's house. <laughs> apparently there's also like a zoo because where the fuck did the kangaroo and the elephants uh, or the horses <laughs> rather? Yeah, <laughs> there's just so many animals on this show sometimes. <laughs> There's just so much on this show, period. Granted, uh, the elephants were in India. I <laughs> <laughs> so they at least but, made yeah. sense. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so this place, we find out later, is uh, Namuro Memorial Hall. And mm -hmm. the story goes that there were a hundred boys who were buried alive inside this place. Which, this place is in remarkably good condition for a place that buried 100 people alive. <laughs> right. Yeah, we'll get to that later. <laughs> I, I'm guessing like it was a... rebuilt or something. <laughs> yeah, there, there's quite a bit I, I want to remark on about that building, but we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> but um, So, 
first we descend down into the depths of Nomura Hall, where we see one of our new characters, Mamiya, standing over a like tank with a black rose inside of it. Like it, this is like the anti-Anthe, right? Like this is a character who is tending to black roses in a place with no light. It's the opposite of the birdcage. Uh, so, you know, we have like now this true foil to uh, Anthe's character. Yeah. And when sh- she's first revealed, I totally thought it was. Uh, he. Uh, he oh sorry uh, mamiya is a boy oh when he's first revealed i totally thought uh he was anthe's brother because of the red suit it totally threw me off oh okay yeah like i totally thought it was the same character that we just saw in the last episode episode 13 that was talking to uh dios in the castle i mean you wouldn't be like I, I wouldn't fault you for making that mistake of them being related just because like they have the same skin color and hair color, which like is kind <laughs> of, but then we actually do meet Anthony's brother later on. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 And yeah. <laughs> the dead, the dead giveaway is the voice. Like as soon as this new character talked, I was like, Oh no, that's not the same person. <laughs> it totally threw me off though. I get where the confusion comes in because um, Maria Kawamura is the voice actor for Mamiya. So like Mamiya has a female voice actor, but as we're clarified, as is clarified later in the episode, Mamiya is a boy. Also, let's just call it out right now. Mamiya? Him Mamiya? Okay. (laughs) We see it already. Like like, this (laughs) This character is set up to be like the complete antithesis yeah. of Anthe. <laughs> well, and I it'd be interesting to see what like the etymology of the name is because Himamiya, like Hime princess, I'm just curious as to what the antithesis name actually means. Yeah. If anything. Like- you have to be really careful with the romanization of um, Japanese names because like they could have been using a very different kanji character for the same syllables. True. Um, True. And so like you can't just go by how the name is romanized. You have to see the actual kanji to see like whether or not the character names are meant to be true parallels that way. Mm hmm. Because, like, yeah, like, but in English, still. it's a, a, in English, it's an eerie coincidence. Um, in Japanese, like, I, I don't know offhand <laughs> whether or not, like, <laughs> the names are, are that linked. Or yeah, they could have written the names in katakana from the beginning, and they're not actually Japanese names. That happens, too. But, oh, yeah. Interesting. Still, with how much like fairy tale shenanigans kind of goes on in the background of this show, I would be surprised if they didn't take that at least a little into account. Oh yeah, because then like we also meet um, Soji Mikage, mm-hmm. and Mikage has 
pink hair like Utena. So like we talked about at the end of last episode, we now have the anti-duo. <laughs> yeah. We have one character with the purple hair who is the Rose Bride, and then one character with the pink hair who is the the duelist champion. <laughs> yeah, they make quite a pair. Yeah. And interestingly enough, like Mikage says that a proper school should be a place of peaceful study. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he says that and then goes on to like, I don't know, semi raise the dead of something, you know, like <laughs> school should be a quiet place to study, stab somebody like Okay, yeah. the cognitive dissonance here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, like, he might as well be drawing the sword himself while saying this line. <laughs> yeah, he's like sharpening a weapon in the background. <laughs> oh my gosh. But yeah, we do get that uh, from their dialogue that Toga's gone. He's been absent for a little bit. Uh, so it implies that a little bit of time has passed since the last season wrapped up in the last duel with Toga. And he's just taking a little leave of absence as rich kids can do in school, apparently. Uh, and yeah. we'll just be back later. Yeah. In universe, just a rich kid doing rich kid things. He is big sad mm -hmm. about Utena having beaten him. Like we saw last episode, he was sulking. Um, we will see him this season, but his voice actor wasn't available during this plot arc. And so they wrote out his character for a bit. Oh, got it. I thought it was just like, <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was more of a place of um, the writers just being like, yeah, we'll just not, we're not going to include that many characters from like, the OG story <laughs> in our in our arc. See ya, Toga. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is one of those things that works out to the favor of the show that like real world production problems, they capitalize on it for story beats. You know, mm -hmm. the, the same way that they reuse footage and turn it into a visual ritual. Uh, right. Toga's voice actor not being available means we now have a complete new villain that gets our full attention and Toga mm -hmm. will not be there to like divide that attention. And we can focus entirely on the black Rose saga and not Toga's manipulations. Yeah. Which I love that by the way, because sometimes you do just need a breath of fresh air with a, with a villain or antagonist or just a storyline in general. Like if this was any other show, what would have ended up happening is that in this first episode, Toga would have joined forces with Utena and like he'd be a good guy now. Hello, Vegeta. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that he's just like, oops, see ya, and then just fades into his sad little corner for a bit because it gives room for so many other things to shine. And it definitely does in this episode. Like the the pace of this one is a little bit different from the first season. And the pace and the tone. And I love it. <laughs> it's a little bit yeah. more spooky ooky, uh, which is right up my alley. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
but so, yeah, we'll get there. So then we get this shot of Anthony leaving the chairman's tower. And we cut to Utena in the dorm room with Choo Choo and Utena has a cake. And Choo Choo is, of course, like trying to eat the cake. <laughs> um, and it's noteworthy that both in this scene and then again later, it'll get talked about later. But in this scene, again, Choo Choo is hanging out with Utena, not with Anthe. And so eventually Anthe walks in and Choo Choo is like in the foreground of this scene as it plays out. Choo Choo is trying to get into the box. His little butt is like straight up in the air. <laughs> His feet are kicking. It is the most <laughs> hilarious like little moment. And it's right there in the focus of the scene while this heavy <laughs> conversation is happening in the background. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, he falls out the window trying to get into this cake box. Uh, thankfully, I thought it was just going to be like, well, he fell out the window. Thankfully, he's he <laughs> ends up just hanging from it. <laughs> yeah, He's still on the windowsill. He, he didn't die, folks. Don't worry. It's not, it's not that episode. <laughs> <laughs> so, Anthony says that she visits her brother once a week. And the, the thing I made note of here is that she evades Utena's question until Utena asks directly, who do you go to see? Yeah. Yeah. Where are you on the weekends? Who are you seeing? Yeah. So then there's like this like beat beat brother? You have a brother? <laughs> and so then they decide to go visit who we now meet Akio Otori. So they go into the tower and now we have our second elevator or perhaps only elevator. I don't know if that's entirely clear visually, whether or not the student council like also is taking the same elevator. They're just going oh. higher all the way up to the, the chairman's office or the chairman's yeah. residence rather. Yeah. 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 Because, like, the student council hangs out on that platform midway up the tower. Yeah. But this time, Utna and Anthe are going all the way to the top. And there's this gag where Utna's like, is this your brother? And she points at the planetarium projector. <laughs> <laughs> and Anthe just, like, matter-of-factly is like, no, that's a planetarium projector. <laughs> Utena think that Anthony's delusional? <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Anthony's done some weird shit, so I kind of don't uh, fault Utena for the question. <laughs> but yeah, no, turns out the planetarium is not the brother. Her brother is just full on making out hard with somebody behind it <laughs> yeah and Utena tries to drag Anthea away he's like we gotta go this is a private party right now <laughs> <laughs> yeah I love that she calls it a private party and then when she tries to leave the elevator ding uh interrupts 
the two having fun anyway. So then it just cuts over to them all blushing, talking to each other, sitting down around a coffee table. Yeah. I made a note here that the music in this scene reminds me of like the Stardew Valley version of the Utena music. Oh, shit. Like, it it has that, like, MIDI quality to it. Yeah, it does. Um, But, like, that's totally irrelevant. Like, it's just something I made note of when I was watching. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But here we get introduced to Akio, who is the acting chairman for Atori Academy. Um, Like, at first, Uten is confused about whether or not he's the chairman, and he clarifies, like, no, he's not the chairman. He's just engaged to the chairman's daughter, Kanae. And Kanae is there as well. And she is a high school senior. She is going to graduate in spring. And when she graduates, then they're going to get married. Which, weird. <laughs> yeah, Um. if any of you could see the face that I'm making right now. <laughs> Uh, ew, is all I have to say about that. Like, just kidding. I'm going to say more. So, (laughs) him and Mia's brother very clearly is a man. Like, dude looks like he is well into his 20s. Right? At least. And then talking about being an acting... I think his listed age is like 21 or something like that, or 22. (laughs) That man is 24 at least. 21 no way somebody lied (laughs) uh he that he is a man preying upon a high schooler well we'll get to that later but preying upon this high schooler kanai like oh god it just gives me the heebie-jeebies oh yeah yeah it's supposed to i think (laughs) um and like it's also an arranged marriage, which is a little bit different. Like, I have my issues with arranged marriages to begin with. <laughs> but, like, part of it is the age issue of arranged marriages. <laughs> yeah. Um. And then my question is, so her father is the real chairman. They talk about him as if he is alive. So, like, why... Is Anthe's brother the acting chair? Like, why is there a need for him to be the acting chairman? Because it kind of just seems like, and this is probably what it is, he's just inserting himself here into the school and the equation and everything. Oh, I'm sure. Like, it's a proximity to power thing where he's just capitalizing on the fact that he has access to these resources. and, And yeah, like, he has access to all of this. And so he's going to use it. Um, And. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The fact that she even says, Oh, some say uh, he got his way into my family just to get at these facilities. Ha ha ha. I'm like, girl, that's not something to laugh about. Like he definitely did. (laughs) Right. (laughs) hundred percent. hundred percent. That is what he did. And also, like, it's a double entendre. She's like, yeah, to get at these facilities. I'm like, yeah, he's getting at these facilities, all right. (laughs) Very clearly, as what we just saw, (laughs) what we just walked in on. 
But yeah, they talk about how he's obsessed with stars. Um, and they talk about like, oh, I'm going to name a comet after you, blah, 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 whatever, you know, uh, well, lovers that, in love that line, stuff. That, that line, she's like, yeah, I just hope you think of me sometimes. And Ooh, no, it's like, it's like one of those things where it's a joke and it's told as a joke because they're in front of company. <laughs> Oh no! But you know that she is speaking something true here. <laughs> oh God, that just makes me cringe out of existence. So the the scene ends with Akio um, saying this like bizarrely out of touch line, where he's like, "I I just enjoy the fact that the students here never fight," and Utena's like, "Yeah, about that, chief." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she I mean, just kind of stares pointedly and is like, yeah. <laughs> I wish they that sure don't. <laughs> yeah. So Kanae tries to corner Anthe to have a conversation about like calling her sister finally. And Anthe goes into full like Stepford smile mode. And yeah. is just like, sure. Yeah, it was definitely under her um her mask is mm-hmm. just what I call it. Like this mask of hers is so much clearer in this episode than I think it has yeah. been before. Like, oh, for sure. The visual language of this scene is supposed to be unsettling. In a way that like it wasn't before like we had seen her doing this kind of thing before, but it always, at least to me, made me feel like I should feel sorry for Anthe or feel protective of Anthe. Yeah. Or it was like, it was like a polite rebuff before, if anything. And this is a moment where when Anthe puts on the mask like this, it's unsettling in that uncanny valley sense. Yeah. Or like, it's obvious that something is off with this girl in a big way. Yeah. And we go from that immediately over to a more formal introduction to one of the new characters that we saw earlier, who is Soji Makage. That is his full yes. name, correct? Yes. Yes, it is. Okay. So, <clears throat> so he's looking at what I think, and uh, I might get a slap on the wrist for this after working for a library for so long, but what I think is a microfiche or microfilm machine. He's like scanning through articles pretty rapidly, I think. Yeah, like... <clears throat> In the olden days, before the internet. (laughs) Um, Yeah, like, before things could be digitized, they were scanned onto uh, microfilm or microfiche. And you had to, like, in order to read the back catalog of, like, scientific journals and stuff like that, or newspapers, 
you would have to go to one of these readers and read it that way um, because it would like magnify the microscopic printing. So that way, like libraries didn't have to keep whole rooms just stacked with like newspapers and uh, journals. Um, for the, the folks who are perhaps too young to have ever seen one of these things, they are about as cumbersome and annoying as it seems like. Um, but that is <laughs> they always like look the, cool. They, that is still like the only way to access certain journals and certain um, really old reference materials. Yeah, is like reading it on on that format. Yeah, and it always looks cool in film and uh, you know TVs and TV shows and movies, but. Uh, I've never used one myself, so I could not comment on how annoying it might be, but it sounds like it was <laughs> to use. <laughs> I only had to do it like one time for one paper in college where the journal I was trying to read something in just wasn't digitized yet. Mm. Um, but the actual action of this scene is he's getting a bribe or like a payoff for having like uh, shadow written a paper for this consulting firm. Yeah. A high schooler writing a paper for a consulting firm run by college professors. Yeah. And so, and they are talking up like how much of a genius he is. And, um, uh, Like, so like they, they go to offer this gift to him and he's like, it's not necessary. I don't need to take payment for that. And they like rather embarrassedly take the gift back. Um, but the whole thing is that he is shadow writing for these people. Yeah. And it seemed like instead of him flat out refusing like in a gracious way of like, Oh no, I couldn't possibly take that. He doesn't do that at all. It seems more like he's just saying, I'm going to cash in the favor that I now have with you later. Oh yeah. This is some gangster shit. <laughs> yeah. I don't, need, so, I don't need you to repay uh, me in, in money, but I will take a favor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, RIP to those college professors. <laughs> Honestly. And like that moment right there of recognizing that he trades his genius for favors kind of speaks to how he has acquired the amount of power that he seems to have, which is... Yeah. He has access to the entire Nomura Memorial Hall and gets to do pretty much whatever he wants with this building. And like he has an entire seminar that he teaches as a high school student to other high school students. Okay, I was going to ask about that because they kept referring to the Mikage seminar and I was like, I, did they say specifically what it was? I guess they did because you just said it, but... <laughs> I miss that completely. Well, it's supposedly like a seminar for 
the gifted students. And it's a little mm -hmm. ambiguous what it is until we later find out that the Mikage seminar is him recruiting people to to duel on his behalf. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I guess my question is, is there actually a seminar or is it all a farce? Oh, for I doubt duels. it. I, I, I really doubt that he's actually like holding classes somewhere. Okay. <laughs> I think this is entirely, you get your... You get your invitation, you show up at the at the hall, and then you go through the creepy elevator interview, and then you get stabbed with a rose. And we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> so thank God Mickey turned it down. Um which Yeah, so yeah, I don't we even... get the scene where he offers Mickey a spot in the seminar. Yeah. And I don't even really know that he gave a reason for turning it down other than just something vaguely like it just doesn't feel right or something um he mickey of all people gets caught up in his imposter syndrome and thinks like he just isn't good enough for it oh well thank god Which blows my mind because like if anyone in this school should be in like a gifted program it's fucking Mickey, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But like, this like is if the you one don't time to be there. Who does? Then <laughs> <laughs> this is the one time in anyone's life where being insecure in your own abilities actually saves your ass. <laughs> right. I mean, like he would have. He. I mean, he probably would have been fine. Um, you know, if there was a if he ex accepted and then you know went through all the shenanigans. Uh, but you never know. And they talk about how, um, again, like the rumor of a hundred duelists or whatever, a hundred boys, excuse me, the rumor of a hundred boys being, uh, buried, uh, beneath this hall. It's like, well, thank God Mickey fucking dodged that bullet of being 101. <laughs> right. And I think what's really interesting is that Mikage lets it go immediately. He's like, yeah. oh, well, if you don't think you're good enough, then then you're not good enough. And that matters, I think, because like that's our foreshadowing that like it wasn't just him being polite. That's our foreshadowing that what he's actually looking for is like strength of heart. You know, mm. like strength of spirit. And so the first trait that mickey shows even though he's a fantastic duelist the first trait he shows to to mikage when he asks is like a moment of insecurity and that right there disqualifies him from what uh, mikage needs from him yeah also love that this conversation is framed by a pillar splitting them down or splitting the scene and them down the middle Oh, yeah. Uh, the, the art choice here is top notch. Yes. With the one side of the pillar being the black rose and the other side being the pink. Mm -hmm. uh, I also just think it's a cute little nod to like, even though it was a moment of insecurity, like Mickey kind of choosing to stay on Team Utena. <laughs> I think that's me stretching it and romanticizing it a little bit. <laughs> yeah. But I just want them to be friends so bad. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of Utena, 
um, we get this moment where they stop outside of Namuro Hall, and we this is where we get the backstory about like the hundred boys. But the key piece here is that Anthe thanks Utena for not telling Akio about her secret. In this case, the secret of being the Rose Bride. Yeah. Which we talked about this in the last episode. But it's a lie. So He very well does know about this. I, I feel like this is framed a little bit differently than in the preview last episode. I've like having watched it now, I now have the question of does Anthe not know that Akio knows? Hmm. Interesting. Like, is Anthe actually lying here? Or does she just not know that her brother already knows about the duels? But didn't we talk about how uh, she escorted him to the dueling platform? Because, like, the Rose Bride has to be present in order for anybody to be there. So, what we actually see in that scene is him walking alone on the dueling platform. And then after talking to the prince, when he's leaving, he is met by Anthe. Okay. So, okay. So, very well, she could not be aware. Right. Hmm. Again, the so, show is just like messing with our perception of reality. And like, yeah. Like, I feel gaslit by the show. <laughs> <laughs> Episode title I feel gaslit by the show. <laughs> but yeah, like, I, I, this moment, it kind of seems to me like maybe Anthe doesn't know that Akio knows. Well, and. So what is the harm in telling anyone about the duels? I mean, really. And well, about we know the... That the we know that the student council thinks that they should be kept a secret, and that's one of the rules at the end of the world handed down. Um which is also part of why they were like so shocked when Utena rolls in with her ring. Mm-hmm. Like they didn't realize that there were other duelists out there. Um, as far as like the actual harm goes, I don't see the harm in all these people knowing <laughs> <laughs> uh, and having it out in the open. Um, but like we know from last episode that Akio has some business with the prince. We know that Akio uh, is observing the duels and has some vested interest in Utena winning the duels. Right. It is obvious that Akio knows about Anthe, but it's not clear that Anthe knows Akio knows. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then what does he have to gain by keeping it a secret and then doing oh, these weird control, right? Like, yeah, but doing these weird <laughs> mind games of like asking, Oh, there's no fighting at this school. Right. Like quit being a jackass. <laughs> like that was that to me 
reads so clearly as him trying to bait Utna into saying something and like teasing us with the fact that he knows about the duels. Um, like he doesn't want to be the one to admit that he knows about it. But he, since he does know, he needs somebody else to trip up and tell him about it. So that way, you know, he can cop to knowing everything he knows. Yeah, basically. Otherwise, he's spying. Yeah, and basically, he's just a manipulative dude who gets off on being manipulative. (laughs) Like, that's, that's exactly what that is. Oh, for sure. Like, you ask, like, what he gets out of it. Power and control. Yeah. It's the same thing that anyone lies about anything for, is to have control of information. Yeah. Because when other people know and the things and the truth is out in the open, they can choose actions that you might not like. Yeah. And then also, what would it say if the acting chairman knew about these like backyard <laughs> duels <laughs> that are happening and isn't doing a damn thing about it. Like just letting these kids fight with swords in the forest in the back. So I guess that's another component of this too, but it's still, I don't think, I think it's more the manipulative aspect of it than like, Oh, my reputation, you know, like, no, he doesn't care about that kind of shit. Uh, something interesting that we get back in this episode again is the stopwatch. Yeah. We get the return of the stopwatch and it looks a little different this time. It has little roses on it. Two of them to be precise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't think it had that before. I think it was just bland, boring, regular old stopwatch. And it has two little red roses this time. So the stopwatch comes out again at Utena saying specifically, I didn't even know this place existed. Click. So I'm like, (laughs) there he goes again. (laughs) Being all mysterious, but apparently that was uh, supposed to happen. So then we cut to a conversation between Mamiya and Mikage. And this is where we get like the gender stuff. Um, Mikage very clearly addresses Mamiya as his rose bride and says like even though you're a boy bride seems to be more fitting for you and I just find that to be like such a really interesting convert like commentary on gender and gender presentation mm-hmm. that like the actual gender of the, the character themselves doesn't change whether the the role that they're assuming is a bride. And then to to actually just directly say that role suits you. It's like saying you're the femme bottom of our relationship. And so, yeah, this suits you. <laughs> Autumn! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I mean, what, are you going to say that like, are you going to tell me that Mamiya's a top? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I have no stake in this game. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, come on. We've already speculated about Toga and uh, Sionji. (laughs) Yeah, you know what? That's true. I can't. No, you are correct. I don't think Mikage would give up anything. 
to be honest, any type of control <laughs> at all. I mean, at the same time, though, Mamiya is clearly the one in control here. At least, like, that's how it reads to me. Like, Mikage has his grand design, but Mamiya is the Rose Bride. Same way with Anthe. Like, the power comes through the Rose Bride, not the person who is doing the fighting. Yeah, but every time somebody is exploiting the Rose Bride, and it kind of feels like... It kind of feels like that's what's also happening here. Okay. He seems a little too... I don't know. We don't really know enough about him yet. I just don't like... He seems very controlling. I don't like it. I think I might just be projecting like what I already know about (laughs) these two. That like... (laughs) Mamiya, to me, like even from this first scene, reads very much as like the one in control. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can see it as, like, he's the one giving orders, and then Mikage is the one, uh, like, executing. Almost like a villain in their henchmen. Yeah, I I don't know if it's, like, that specifically. It's more like, Mikage definitely thinks he's in charge, but, like, the actual power Mm. lies with Mamiya. And, like, this is a willing conspiracy between these two. Because, like, they actually just straight up want to yeah, kill Anthe. They sure do. <laughs> Which is just, like, again, first episode, new season, straight out the gate. Yeah, we're going to kill the Rose Bride. Okay, we're, we're starting this season out strong. <laughs> yeah. Which also, like, it says something to, I guess, like, the cosmology of this. Like, the the magical rules by which all this applies. Like if you kill the Rose Bride, you get to be the Rose Bride. (laughs) Yeah. Like how would one even like grab that spot? Would it just be (laughs) like, okay. So say they're both in the arena when, uh, when Anthe's killed, right? It doesn't matter who did it. One of them did. Who gets assigned to be the Rose Bride? Like how, how does that work? Is it like Highlander rules where the one who actually struck the killing blow? Right. Is it that way? Is it like random? Is it RNG? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I I think presumably like there is some way of consciously taking that role. Once the the current holder of that role is. And I guess they must know it. Like, so, like, if Anthe dies, Mamiya can just be there, like, on the spot to be like, all right, I'm going to take the power now that. Yeah, you know, loose. that's that's a third yeah. option that I hadn't considered. They murder her off camera and <laughs> Mamiya is just on the platform, just arms <laughs> out waiting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Kanae shows up to Namuro Hall and says that she has an interview scheduled. And. There's no one at the desk, just a sign. And then there's a row of signs that are just fingers pointing down the hall. And eventually she reaches a door. Like there's hundreds, there are probably a hundred yeah. of these chairs with the, the finger signs pointing. And um, oh, this also echoes the scene down below where Mamiya and Mikage are talking and there's the hundred pairs of shoes around the edge of the room. So clearly like this is a sepulcher and 
this is where like the hundred boys have been laid to rest and Kanae gets it. So back to Kanae, uh, she gets into what turns out to be an elevator and she just starts talking to herself. Like there's a little window, like a confessional, like a Catholic confessional. Um, and there's a, a, a framed pinned butterfly up on the wall. And it is like this eerie blue light. Like it actually confused you about the color of her hair because like this entire scene is cast yeah. in a blue light. And so she goes from being blonde to mm-hmm. like this mint colored hair because like the lighting in here is so blue. So she gets in this elevator confessional and just starts talking, which that is a profound level of trust. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like ass- assuming she came here to be interviewed for the Mikage seminar she just leads with like how things are going in her life and then spirals into uh I wouldn't even call it a wound but it's like it kind of is it's like a little festering wound uh within her heart that she can't ignore or get rid of right so she says that she's engaged to be married um, as soon as she graduates to a man that her father picked. And she describes Akio in the most fascinating way. Like, Kane clearly has Akio's number. She says he's kind, childlike, yet also somehow more mature. And she has read him like a headline. Yeah. <laughs> um, I... I feel like we cannot forget that childlike piece of her description. But ultimately she comes to saying that she's mad that Anthe won't accept her as her sister. Yeah. Uh, and as the elevator is descending the same way that like she's descending into her psyche, um, there's a voice that says, Fukaku, Moto Fukaku, which is deeper go deeper or more deep rather. Um, And the butterfly on the wall is also reverting back to yeah, like a chrysalis or a cocoon. What kind of cracks me up about this is that she, (laughs) the turning point, the incident that did it in for Kanai is she gave Anthe a scarf and Anthe said, thanks, and used it to wipe her glasses. That was it. So, like, it's kind of, it's perfect because it's a very unassuming Anthe thing to do. But it was absolutely the shade that Kanai is picking up on here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. The, this is the thing about Kanai. She is not a fool. Mm-mm. she is seeing very clearly what like she may not know what's going on between Anthe and Akio but she is seeing very clearly that they are not accepting her as part of the family yeah and then she even goes on to say her eyes were cold and alien and then blames Anthe coming around uh or rather blames her father falling ill on Anthe coming around, which this is a common motif 
or common thread rather with Anthe is that the longer she is around other people, the more prone they are to blaming her for some bad shit happening. That's like, I'm sorry, but very obviously like she had no control over or no uh, influence over like somebody. The only way that she could have done something like that is if she poisoned him herself. So like, that's a pretty big stretch going this girl who has never directly shown any hostility towards me poisoned my father, (laughs) you know, (laughs) it's kind of, I don't know, not saying that it's impossible, but it is a big stretch. Yeah. I'm just not going to comment on that one. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like if you were going to, here's my thing. If you were going to poison, if she was going to poison the dad, I, I guess to try to get, the girl to go away to go back to taking care of her dad to like leave them alone but like how was that ever gonna well work think about what hap- think about what happened at Atori academy oh he came to vi- uh he- oh he came to uh be the acting chairman so it probably wasn't Anth. here it is again it probably wasn't anthe it was probably just him or he told her to do it yeah maybe Mm-hmm. <laughs> either one of those could be true yeah yeah because like regardless of the why the end result is her brother is now the acting chairman of otori academy like the actual facts on the table are kane's dad falls ill now akio who is engaged to her is the acting chairman because apparently Schools work by feudal rules <laughs> where, um, you know, daughters don't inherit anything. Right. But the next son does. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't make any fucking sense. So, so we're going by uh, the rules of um, male primogeniture. And, <laughs> but yeah. So, regardless of the how or the why, the end result is that Akio is now in charge. Yeah. Which the ultimate beneficiary of her father falling ill is Akio. Yeah. But my point of this continuing to happen to Anthe remains of like people pointing a finger in her direction because this also happened last season of like all of a sudden, uh, oh, it was Wakaba uh, that jumped to a conclusion about Anthe. Yeah, so I don't know. There's just something about her uh, where, as Kanai puts it, no matter what I do, I can't like her. Like, there's something about her that she inadvertently, like, isolates herself. I I think also it's important to remember that this may, like, we have also at times talked about the ways in which Anthe shows agency is through these like quietly cruel acts yeah like like she doesn't do it to get attention the way that nanami does but she is still capable of it yeah so we reach the bottom of the elevator and now we have mikage standing over kane and he says the line that we will now come to know him by um 
the path before you has been made clear. You have no choice but to revolutionize the world. And they step out of the elevator and they're in the catacombs with the duelist bodies. And he says that this is hallowed ground. And he he shows that the rings that the duelists had. So clearly there have been a hundred duelists at least before the current class. So this dueling game has been going on for a very long time. And not just like a hundred total, but a hundred that have died. Yeah. Yeah. And he holds up the black ring and says that the rings turn black when a duelist dies. But when he holds up the ring, you can see his ring. And he himself has a silver ring. Oh, shit. So he is a legitimate duelist, just like Utena. Yeah. I will say uh, the most disturbing part about this room is the hundred pair of shoes that completely surround it. it oh, yeah. It's not the... It's <laughs> yeah. not the the morgue quality it's not the uh the actual bodies themselves or the fact that this exists at all um it's all of the shoes that have just been laid around the border of the room that is the most unsettling part of it yeah and throughout the scene there is this like war chanting in the background it's just like ho 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 and you can hear like the hundred boys or like, I, I think that's what it's supposed to evoke the, the sense of like the, the hundred boys doing this war chant as Mamiya stabs Kane through the heart with the black rose that he had been um, tending earlier in the episode. Yep. So then we have our shadow girl moment. Um, we are now introduced to Seiko who is, Aiko and Biko's companion, who is now here for the one episode or the uh, the Black Rose saga, has we do a different thing where it's a single uh, shadow girl conversing with Utena, which is so cool in silhouette. So yeah, cool. Yeah. And so this one is all about um, the the pain of having your your wisdom teeth coming in, and you know not knowing what to do about it. When clearly there is an obvious solution, just take it out. Yeah. Which Utena responds with. <laughs> yeah. So how do you think this compares to like the moral of the episode or the theme of the episode? There's something coming in. It's too painful to deal with. Just pull it out. Mm, you know, this is kind of fucked up, but... I'm here for fucked up. Go for it. <laughs> Seems kind of relevant to Anthe's situation. And uh, I'm going to drop a trigger warning here just because I'm going to go ahead and start talking about this part of the episode. Uh, so real quick trigger warning for the incestuous relationship. Uh, the There's something coming in. It's painful. Just pull it out. There's someone new coming into the equation. It's too painful. It's a change. It's different. I don't like it. Okay, so just get rid of it. Kind of, it's kind of a parallel to Kanai for me coming in on their incestuous relationship. And okay. now it's kind of worked itself out. 
because um, she's a uh, she's asleep at the end of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, at the end of the episode, we find out she's okay again. Yeah, but isn't she like? She just doesn't remember. Okay, what okay. happened. Okay, okay, okay. But still. So I went a different direction with this. I was thinking that um, th- this is speaking more to like Kanae's situation mm. of oh. Anthe being the one showing up and messing up her relationship with Akio. And so her quote unquote pulling it out, like removing the tooth, removing the painful, the source of the pain is her trying to kill Anthe. Yeah, I can see that too. Like, even though she's doing it on behalf of uh, Mikage and Mamiya, they have co-opted her motivation to see Anthe out of the picture. And so, like, this is about her cutting right to the root of the problem and killing the source of her pain. Yeah, for sure. So now with this saga, we're getting, like, the locker challenges, which is... Which is one of those things that is so beautifully passive aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> um, compared to like in the last season, people would walk up and hand her a rose or directly challenge her and say, meet me in the dueling arena. Now it's just finding a note pinned to your locker. And notably, it is inside her locker. Yeah. And also anonymous. Because she showed up to the dueling arena not even knowing who was going to be there. Right. So so we get a new Zetai Ume Mokushiroku. Uh, this one's like the much more industrial, much more metal version. Uh, we have a male singer in the mix for this one. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember reading somewhere that that is Ikuhara himself singing on this track. Oh. But I could be wrong. That would be interesting. When we get up to the dueling arena, uh, there's desks with flowers in a vase. And the flowers are all the color of um, Kanae's hair. But they're in these black vases. Yeah, they're like they're like white lilies, I think. Yeah, I think so. I'm not good at identifying flowers, but that seems right. <laughs> yeah. And it's an unnecessary amount of desks and flower vases. Like a how in the hell did all these get up here moment for both us as the audience and Utena. (laughs) Right. And then Utena looks down at the ground and she sees that painted on the floor of the dueling arena is like body outlines. Yeah, in red. So even more creepy. (laughs) Because they look like, I mean, they just look like pools of blood. Right. And... Utena sees Kane and asks her, like, who she is. So she turns around and we see that Kane is now in, like, a black duelist uniform. And she has a black rose on her chest. And Anthe warns Utena that Kane is not herself right now. To which Kane responds, no, actually, this is the real me. Um, I'm done hiding it. And she says, as long as this black rose exists, I won't play it being the phony me. So she is now no longer hiding her hostility toward Anthe. And she is bearing her soul 
in this moment. Yeah. For those interested, the dual song here is Inhuman Illusory Soul Fusion Magic. It is a lot about heaven and hell. And like the idea that there is goodness in hell and darkness and evil in heaven. And that like everything is uh, there's good sides and bad sides to everything. And so like we see here, even with this kind person, Kane, uh, she has this resentment seething within her. Did you have anything you wanted to say about the song itself? No, just that it's cool. <laughs> I like that there's... Um, wait, is this the same song uh, that's playing when Utena pulls out the sword from Anthe? Yeah, the song actually starts as she's drawing the sword this time. Okay, so it is the same one. Yeah. Okay, so we'll get a different song there, each time. But there is like, oh yeah, okay. Every duel has its own song. Okay, okay. Um, if you remember from last season, every single duel that Utena fought had a different song, even when it was the same duelist. Yes, like, she fights Sionji three times, and each of those has a different song. Although th- the third time, it wasn't playing a song, and that was like super creepy. <laughs> um, yeah, I just. I don't remember it starting. I thought there was just like a separate little melody or tune for when uh, she pulls the sword out of Anthe. Like if that was its own ritual before. It still is, but like, I don't know. I just yeah, thought it was cool that the song started it was like with a, this. It was like this airy tinkling of, um, I don't think it's bells. I think like, uh, I think it's like a synth thing, but. Yeah, it's like this really airy sound that's playing. Um, it's not really a song itself. Okay, okay. But in this one, it actually just starts the dual song while she's drawing the sword. Yes. Uh, the fight itself takes like no time at all, but it's still cool as hell. <laughs> we get like a backflip from Utena at one point. Uh, yeah. So as to your point, She's definitely learned yeah, some she's, skills. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's she's doing better than last time, even just on her own merits. Yeah. Um, but then Dios shows up and she wins the duel. Um, it's a pretty standard fight. Like it's not um it's not like one of the better ones. This one just kind of serves its purpose because the actual point of all of this comes before and after the duel. Um, yeah, but it so still has its like time at all on the duel itself. Yeah, it still has its cool moments of like smashing a vase and the flip. It was still I was like, damn, oh, yeah. okay, I, I'm like, oh this. yeah, no, like clearly the clearly the animation budget has gone up for this season. Yes, and so like there's these small touches throughout the fight that wouldn't have been there before. Um, I'm just saying that like the fight itself, it's pretty quick. There isn't much of an exchange between the two during the fight. Yeah. Um, it's what happens after that really kicks it home, which is her ring shatters and she falls into one of the body outlines. Yeah, like perfectly. And at the same moment her ring shatters, we cut to um, the basement of Namuro Hall, 
where the body that the ring had been taken to is dropped into an incinerator. Yeah, so like, fuck that guy and his memory, I guess. Yep. (laughs) You don't make the cut, you get burned. Like, what? Okay. And Mikage actually says uh, he won't be able to do this with a makeshift duelist like this. Yeah. Um, Yeah, he also says, no wonder the end of the world has so much faith in her. Implying that he knows about the end of the world. And Mm -hmm. to me, it kind of came off that he's not working with him or her, whoever it is. Yeah. Like, I mean, remember, he's trying to kill the Rose Bride, which is very definitely not the goal of the end of the world. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know if you received some kind of like correspondence from the end of the world and got the ring. That's probably how he got it to begin with. Um, But yeah. So like what we do see is that he is a duelist. Yeah. He did get brought into the dueling game legitimately, but he's also apparently been out of the game long enough that the current student council doesn't know who the fuck he is aside from being famous. Like they don't think of him as a duelist. They think of him as the genius Mikage who has his seminar. And like, we don't have a student council meeting where they're like, Oh shit, we have a new duelist and his name is Mikage. Yeah. Like the fact that he's a duelist seems to be a secret to everybody. Yeah. So it's like you said, he's either been hanging on to this for a while and hatching a plan or he's just now coming into the game. I'm going to ask for a tinfoil hat here. Okay. What do you think is going on? Between the two of those options? Or um, with and with Mikage, like what do you think his deal is? Huh. I want to get you on the record at the start of this season. What is Mikage's deal? <laughs> Part of me wants to be a smart aleck so bad and just say something like probably some mommy issues or something like <laughs> His parents are probably also oh dead. Um Yeah, you know what? Let me go full tinfoil hat. I'm not even going to say if this is right or not. I'm just spitting this out there, cracking my knuckles, giving a good stretch. And here we go. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) so i have no um proof or merit to this at all as with most conspiracy you know tinfoil hat uh things but if i had to guess if he's supposed to be a foil to utena it could very well be that his parents are alive and you know that's not a problem or it could be his parents are dead and he never got the whole princely interjection from Dios. You know, he had to endure what that was like by himself. Or I'm just picturing like the prince showing up for Mikage and kissing <laughs> him and being like, here, dude, as long as you keep your incredible genius as you grow up, this ring will lead you back to me. And it's an engagement ring, by the way. We're super gay. <laughs> In true Dio's fashion, he probably didn't even say it was an engagement ring. 
just like, all right, here you go. See ya. And then it's, <laughs> it's some commentator in the back. Legend will say they were just friends and that wasn't an engagement ring. <laughs> but was that really such a good idea? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, again, if he's supposed to be a foil to Tenna, it probably is something like tragic backstory. Like, this could be like a Bruce Wayne situation where parents died early on and he just had a whole bunch of money and, like, raised himself kind of thing. Okay. I don't know. He just seems real entitled. Also, the fact that he is gathering favors instead of money or material possessions really makes me think that he doesn't have a need for either of those. I mean, he is in Otori Academy after all. So like, of course he doesn't really need money. Most people here don't. Um, but yeah, it, he does kind of give me like a little bit of a mob boss thing or just like a, it could be one of the two. It could be like, I'm a bored rich kid. This is how I spend my time. Uh, could be, I'm a bored rich kid with <laughs> mommy and daddy issues. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't know. It could even be, he doesn't have a tragic backstory. He's just some dude okay. that just, you know, Wants to fuck around and find out. So, listener, this is going to be the section of the show where we properly discuss the incest implications of the final scene of the show. Um, so if you if this isn't something that you want to listen to, you can go ahead and skip right to the next episode. Um, or if you're listening to them as they come out, I guess you'll have to wait a week. But uh, yeah, for the rest of this episode... We're going to be pretty much discussing the implications of the final scene. And um, Chesney's going to do her predictions for next time. But um, if you need to like check out, take care of yourself, do what you need to do. Yeah. So we get to a scene where Anthe is saying goodbye to Utana because she's making her like weekly trip to see her brother. And... Utana pauses her to ask if Kane is okay. And it and she is. Um, she just can't remember anything about like the dueling or anything like that. So Utana concludes that they'll never get an answer for why Kane did this, like why she challenged her. Mm -hmm. Um and I think it's notable here that. Anthe also doesn't comment on the fact that Kane apparently hates her. Yeah. Yeah. Neither of them do. Yeah. But Utena does say, I'm sorry for hurting someone that's going to be your sister. And Anthe's response is, oh, don't trouble, your trouble yourself over that. Well, she says it's not her fault. Yeah. So, like, relieving... Uh, Utena of the burden of guilt of that like whatever whatever that was in the dueling arena that wasn't your fault you did what you had to do as a duelist so Anthe leaves and Utena notices that Chuchu has not gone with her 
Yep. And Choo Choo is pretending to read the newspaper and ignoring uh, Utana as she's asking, like, hey, you're still here. What are you still doing here? Aren't you going to go with Anthony? Yeah. And so she eventually pulls the newspaper down and Choo Choo looks terrified. Yeah, he looks real worried. At first, like, it's not clear, like, why he would be so scared to go with Anthony. But then we get to, we cut to the scene in the tower, um, in the chairman's chamber, where Akio is on the couch, and he is lounging on this couch, shirt half unbuttoned, and... Yeah. Yeah, he's lounging in a way he's lounging in the way that a um a big cat lounges when looking at its prey. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. It's giving I can see that. giving very much I am in control of this situation. Giving very much predatory vibes. Disgusting. Intensely predatory vibes. Yeah. So Anthony puts down her glasses and walks over to him. And then we cut away to the stars. And the question here, he asks, did you miss me? And she says, yes. But this moment where she puts her glasses down, like that shot haunts me. Like it has ever since the first time I watched this, this series. Cause like, we see it in a number of scenes where when something is happening, you can't see Anthe's eyes because like her glasses have glare on them. Mm-hmm. But then in this moment where this is happening, you see her eyes clearly because she doesn't have her glasses on. Yeah. What would you call the emotion that she's giving? Or the expression that she's giving. Mm, this is a tough one. So this is, I think, the unsettling part about this scene. Is that it doesn't read to me as just quiet passivity. Um, like th- This scene does not read to me as just submission to an abuser. Even though, like, that is what's happening. Right. Like, the expression on her face reads as more, like, willing, I guess. <laughs> yeah, like, subservient? Compliant? Like, that's the part that bothers me, because it doesn't read that way to me. It reads as she's a more active participant than that gives credit for. Yeah. And that is, like, really unsettling to me. Yeah. It's also the, what she's giving there is the inverse of Choo Choo's expression, which says a lot. And also, it is very definitely not the Stepford smile that she gives to Kane earlier. No. And I, that's what creeps me out. <laughs> that's what, what like really gets to me is that like this seems a little more genuine and I hate that (laughs) yeah i want to be abundantly clear here that 
with the ages of the folks involved, yes, there is a crime in progress. Right. <laughs> this is not okay. Right. Um, even if there wasn't, you know, even if the age gap yeah. wasn't there, it's still a crime. <laughs> right. Right. And it, it's just like, if you ever have to have a debate about the age of consent, you're doing something wrong. Uh-huh. hundred um, percent. Mm-hmm. Like, so I just want to get like that part out of the way right off the bat, like in this episode, especially now that we're diving into this topic, um, that like the official stance of this show is that what is happening is wrong. And I don't want anyone to think otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> what is happening is wrong. and We do not condone it. Period. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, no, there's also something really sinister to me about her putting her glasses down because it's not just like taking away a little bit of her agency, you know, over her, how she controls and expresses her emotions and guards them. Wait, you're saying you're taking away that agency? This is why to me it's taking away agency because it kind of seemed like something that he's into, like a request that he's made as opposed to her. Because I'm sorry, but what person out there with glasses doesn't want to see other than like, I don't want to see this. So let me put my eyeballs down. You know, (laughs) that's the only (laughs) thing that I can think of, of maybe she is still retaining some agency in this, but like, I don't know. As a person with glasses, I prefer to see things, but I guess since this is abuse, maybe it is Anthony being like, no, I'm going to put these down so I don't have to look at this too closely. This is going to get a little into the weeds on some stuff that isn't clear until later, but since we're having this conversation, I'll bring it up now. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we're going to come back to the glasses metaphor at some point, but for the moment now... This is the first time that we get a hint that, like, the glasses are an affectation or a costume piece and not necessarily a, like, not necessarily crucial to her vision. I'll put it that way. Oh, okay. Okay, okay. I could be wrong, like, but, like, as I interpret some stuff from later in the series, um, this is the, like... I think this is part of what gets at me about this shot of her without the glasses is that um, it feels almost like it's revealing to us that she has never needed the glasses to see. Oh, okay. Because the way that I took it was more like, okay, here I am putting this part of myself down now. Like in the that same, is also valid. yeah, in the same way of like her leaving behind Choo Choo, who's also very much a part of her that she's never without. She calls her best friend uh, in the same way that she leaves Choo Choo behind is how I saw the putting the glasses down of, OK, and now I put this part away and I'll come back to it later. Very much yeah, to me- ab- abused being somebody who is being abused, compartmentalizing fair that is a totally fair interpretation of that to me what it reads as is her taking off a costume piece Mm. she is setting aside this role of uh, the anthe that she is outside of this chamber 
Um, and we see like a hint of a different Anthe, like a different version of her. Yeah. Also, I want to point out like the way the shot is drawn, it should also remind you of Mamiya. Mm. Okay. Like the way the way she turns is the same way he turns at one point. And like in three quarters profile, they have like a brother sister face relationship. So like it goes back to what you said at the beginning of the episode of thinking that Mamiya was her brother, not Akio. Mm-hmm. Um, they do look strikingly similar. So is it like confirmed no relation there or like that's just for us to find out later? Um, I don't know that I want to answer that. Question okay. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> um, <laughs> just that like it, it's like a hint of more of that connection being drawn between Anthe and Mamiya being foils of one another. Like the characters even look similar. Mm-hmm. And like we see her without her glasses and suddenly it changes the shape of her face the same way that like Clark Kent taking the glasses off, he becomes Superman. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What are your predictions for next time? Well, we get the official Kozaway introduction, aka Mickey's sister. So I don't. Yeah, we definitely know. learn her name for now. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. I don't, I th- we talked about this like a while back, but I don't think we got her name in the uh, two-parter episode that she was featured in. Um, yeah, I don't think we did. So we actually get her name this time. And... I think we didn't get her name in part one, but we got it in part two. Oh, okay, okay. And she becomes a Black Rose duelist. And the only thing that we get, like any hints or anything is Anthe saying someone seems to be manipulating their hearts. So this here again, I feel like Anthe might be revealing a little bit too much of her hand here. It it feels to me very similar to that line that her brother said before of like, oh, there's no fights here, huh? Like, shut up, goofy. (laughs) He just gets on my nerves already. But anyway... Uh, <laughs> uh, it feels very reminiscent of that. Like, oh, sure seems like somebody's manipulating their hearts. It's like, Auntie, if you know something, will you please speak up? But she's not going to because, I mean, Utena had to point blank ask her who she was going to see on the weekends. So she's yeah. she's not going to give up any information unless you point blank ask her. And even then, I don't know about that one, Chief. She might not. Okay, so where can folks find us on the internet? So uh, you can send in your comments, questions, uh, etc. Oh, and also fellow tinfoil hat conspiracies uh, to our Gmail account, which is absolute destiny, a podcast at gmail.com. We had such a fun time last episode reading uh your comments and everything and we also included comments from twitter which we'll get to but uh we had such a fun time last episode uh reading all your comments and uh theories and everything it was great and you can also find us on twitter uh at zetai unmei pod where we also have a very fun time and then finally if you're looking for autumn and i on the internet you can find me under the username at car K-A-R-Q-U-E-U-E-T-I-E. And I am at Life in Neon. So yeah. 
Thanks for listening, folks. We'll see you in the next Black Rose Duel.